Dear Heavenly Father, I'm just so thankful for your many blessings. I'm thankful for every person represented here today. Lord, we don't want to do this without the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit today. Uh, May this not be about me. May this be about your son Jesus, what he represents. May this be all about you and all our ways we want to acknowledge you. And Lord, I pray that the words spoken to thee today will be your words, not mine. That the hearers will receive the word as your words, not mine. Lord, bless us. Bless us today. Bless us in these next few moments. We ask that you be with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When uh, John asked me to do this a few months ago, uh, I've been following his identity series. Many of you have been here many of the Sundays where John has just really knocked it out of the park, his uh, teachings on identity. Uh, So much, um, I've always, in, in my line of work, I tend to help artistic, creative people to, I call it, helping them get from A to B because a lot of the creative people just aren't built that way. Um, That's not a bad thing. Uh, It's just that that's why we all need each other. Uh, Creative people, some some people uh, have both talents and giftings, but um, I'm not incredibly talented musically. Uh, In fact, I'm not at all. However, my gifting comes in helping those uh, to move to a certain point. So for uh, several years, I've encouraged John. I said, John, you've got a unique gifting. Uh, here you're pastoring, you're teaching, but you've got this worship background. So I've encouraged John um, to, to maybe write a book on worship because he, he has a little bit different perspective because he's been a worship pastor. He's also been a pastor, but he's also traveled on the road. And that's that's... I mean, uh, people that go to new crowds and new audiences know that one of these is not like the other. Your crowd on Friday night might not be the same as Saturday night. Your crowd on one Sunday when you're traveling may be totally different than the the next crowd. So the unique perspective that John brings uh, as a pastor and a minstrel is that he's been in those situations where he's had to engage the presence of God in any setting. And that's a very difficult situation. So I've encouraged John maybe to write a book on worship from his perspective. Once he got into this identity series, i like, man, the first one, he just knocked it out of the park. The second one, third one. And I went up to John and I said, John, I want to backtrack. I think your first book should be on identity. I said, there's not a lot of teaching about this in the body of Christ. I think the Lord has given you a very unique message um, in terms of the subject of identity. And so as he's continued to lead in this, he he asked me to continue uh, from the voice of the Father to continue the series on identity and then to make it even more difficult then last, uh, last Sunday was Father's Day, and John and Papa Ragsdale were up here, and I'm telling you, they knocked it out of the park again. I mean, it was probably one of the most powerful uh, teachings I've seen on Father's Day. So I thought, 
Oh, now how do I follow John and identity, Papa Ragsdale and John in Father's Day? And I said, Lord, you got to help this little boy out here. (laughs) My mama called me Sammy. Sammy needs some help. Don't y'all call me Sammy. (laughs) Only my mama can call me that. So as I went to prayer, I had wrestled over the last few weeks over a different title. And, um, and I'm going to expand the title. But this is what I felt the Lord told me to share. Finding your identity in a fatherless world. Finding your identity in a fatherless world. Society right now is built on many broken families, single parents. Um, There's a lot of situations. And when I looked at Papa John and John talking, not everybody was blessed with a great father and a great mother. Not everybody comes from that perspective. I was blessed. I was blessed. I had the same scenario, but I'm, I'm sitting in there and I was thinking about some of the stories I know and some of the, the people in this crowd today. And I realized that there are many fatherless people in this world. And then I started studying the scriptures and I expanded it. It's not just fatherless. Many are motherless. And many are just flat out orphans. So I thought, I'm going to get really profound here. I'm going to look up the definition of an orphan. And this is really profound. I'm sure you didn't know it. It's a child who lost both parents. That's an orphan. But here's the second definition. And it's going to fit every one of us today. It's someone who lacks support, care, or supervision. I guarantee you everyone in this room has felt that at some point in time where they have lacked support, care, or supervision. So I want to expand this from living, finding your identity in a fatherless or motherless world to living in an orphan world. There are so many biblical examples of the role of orphans and adopted kids in the Bible. I could go on and on and on. I'm going to give you a few examples. Moses, when the king of Egypt decreed that all Jewish males two years or below would be slain. His mother was faced with the choice of him being slain or literally abandoning him in a river and trusting God for his destination. We all know the end of Moses' story. Because Moses found his identity in God. Even as an orphan child who was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, he ended up being the deliverer of the Jewish people. 
Daniel, one of the wisest men to ever live, was basically handed the kingdom of Babylon because when he was a youth, Nebuchadnezzar exiled the the kids, the young, wise kids from Jerusalem to Babylon. He wanted them in his court, in his kingdom. Daniel rose up, was able to interpret dreams, was able to speak in to that king's life. Why? Because one that was exiled from his parents, he found his identity in God. Samuel, his mother Hannah, could not get pregnant. Couldn't get pregnant. Couldn't get pregnant. And she wanted a baby so bad. So she really kind of petitioned God, if, if you'll give me a child, if you'll give me a child, if you'll give me a son, I will give him back to you. So she birthed a Samuel. Hannah birthed a Samuel. And anybody knows the calling of a Hannah is a prayer intercessor. And I was blessed. I, I am a Samuel, and I'm here today because she was a Hannah. But Samuel was basically raised by a priest. He wasn't raised by his mom and dad. But Samuel became one of the greatest prophets of Israel without mom or dad. But he found his identity. He found his identity. He found his purpose in God. And that's how he rose up to be one of the greatest prophets of Israel. Joseph. Joseph had dreams. Be careful who you share your dreams with. He thought he was sharing it with the right people. His dad and his brothers. It provoked jealousy. Basically, he was left for dead by his brothers. And uh, he went to another nation. His dad believed he would never see his son again. And Joseph, you remember, his mother died at childbirth, at uh, the second child. So here we go again. A motherless boy named Joseph and a, a boy named Joseph who lost relationship with his father. And through all the experiences of Joseph, what happened? He found his identity and purposes of God. God rose him up. He ended up running the kingdom. Why? Because he found his identity in God and not in himself or not anything else counterfeit. My favorite story is actually the story of Esther. I love the story of Esther for a couple of reasons. One is I love the role of women in the Bible and I love the role of women in ministry. I have a good I've a good I had a great mother. My mother had more influence on my life than anybody in the world. I had a great dad too. Don't take that wrong. 
But I, I believe women don't get the recognition that they deserve. <laughs> wow, thank you. <laughs> now I know how John feels. But Esther, and I'm going to go into Esther's story just a little bit, and I'm going to zero in on her story more than others. So yeah, I may get a few amens during this one. The setting was Esther was a, uh, a young gal, young girl, living in Persia, but she was a Jewish girl. Okay. That is like a Longhorn fan living in Fayetteville, Ben. It's not going to happen. See there? See there? But think of Persia as a modern-day Iran. So you got a Jewish girl, parentless, and she's being raised by her cousin, Mordecai. Mordecai was a praying man. He would stand by the king's gate every day praying. Mordecai was just going up and down the king's court praying. There was a queen, the queen to the king, King Xerxes at the time, uh, had Queen Vashti. Queen Vashti um, was called to come to the king's court. And Queen Vashti refused to come. Well, typical males, we all got insecure. So all the guys of Persia went to the king and said, Oh, no, if word gets out that the queen didn't come to your command, this is going to get around and all these women, they're going to get a little rebellious on us. <laughs> we got to rid Vashti of being queen. So he decreed that he would see Vashti no more. She was banned from the king's court. So they decided, all the guys, I'm sure, uh, it's time to get a new queen. So there was a 12-month process on selecting who the new queen was. And so they took all the beautiful women from Persia and uh, Mordecai, encouraged her to, uh, to be one of those girls. But he said, be careful. Do not disclose your national descent. Because I know this doesn't happen anymore, but there was racial profiling going on back then. <laughs> Glad we're done with that, aren't you? the Jewish people were being discriminated against in Persia at that time. And Mordecai said, please do not disclose. Well, everywhere Queen uh, Esther at the time, she was before she's queen, everywhere she went, she had favor. They had to get cosmetics. They had training. They had special diets. And the person that was assigned to getting these girls equipped to appear before uh, the king had favor on Esther of all the gals, and he put the best cosmetics, the best foods, and the best people around her. She had favor. You go through that book, she had favor, 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 everywhere she went. But she was parentless. 
And it says in the book of Esther that when she entered the king's court, that the king found favor. She had favor with the king. And this little Jewish orphan girl in a Persian culture gets picked above all. And you think, Hollywood say, end of story. She makes queen, let's go home. No, 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 no. Nope. There's a bigger purpose. There was a bigger purpose. So she appears uh, as the queen now. And there is a, a guy by the name of Haman who the king loved. He was kind of his right-hand man. And Haman was full of pride. So much that he got the king to set out a decree that any, anybody that did not bow before Haman would be violating the king's order. And everybody would bow before Haman. But guess who? Mordecai. And this enraged Haman so bad. It wasn't, it wasn't enough that everybody but Mordecai was bowing to him. He wanted Mordecai as well. So he manipulates the king into signing a decree to annihilate the Jewish people. Basically, a genocide order. And this is where the strength of, of Esther came in. The Jewish people are just beside themselves. They're about to get annihilated. And Mordecai said, what, what, what can you do? And Esther the strong woman of God, she says to Mordecai, lead this nation in a three-day fast. Lead, and, and I don't think Esther gets enough credit for the religious leader she was for the Jewish nation at that time. And she was leading them in the fast, which ultimately led to the disclosure so it's, a, it's, a, it's a great story. I encourage you to read it. Anyhow, the tables turned. Haman was literally building gallows to have Mordecai hung. And the plot of Haman is disclosed. And the very gallows that were built for Mordecai were used to hang Haman. Why? Esther threatened her, her life was threatened when she made that choice to disclose this. Into the Persian rule, if you entered the king's court, you either had to be requested to come, or if you showed up without a request, if he didn't hold out his scepter, you were committed to die. So she asked for the fast because she knew she needed God's favor one more time. How many times are we faced with two kingdoms? She could have played it safe, let the order decree. She would have been okay. She's the queen. But she made a choice. I'm going to preserve my kingdom or I'm going to preserve God's kingdom. 
And she had to lay her life on the line to do that. And so I admire what she did, but it's also that one of the very famous passages is, is in uh, Esther 4.14. And uh, hopefully it's up on the screens. It says, Mordecai said this to her, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you've not attained royalty for such a time as this. I'm looking at a lot of people right now that have royalty on them. They just don't know it. Now, I'm going to have a little bit of fun for a few minutes. I want somebody, I want you all to all be truthful to me. All be truthful. How many have read the book of Esther all the way through? Pretty good. Okay. I call this the Holly Johnson part of my sermon now. <laughs> Holly's a good friend of mine. Raise your hand, Holly. Preacher's kid. She lives some a little while in Bethel, California, so you think. Uh, Reading, California. So you think anybody that comes out of Bethel or Reading, you know, they know their Bible, they know worship, they know all this. We were sitting having coffee one day, and we were talking about the Bible, and she said, I don't like to read my Bible. I said, Holly. (laughs) I already asked permission. Uh, I said, you went to Reading? You went to the school there? And on top of that, you're a preacher's kid. Well, preacher's kid. Yeah, I know a lot of preacher's kids didn't read their Bible. <laughs> let, let, let's, let's ignore that one. So, the, those of you who have, haven't read Esther all the way through, I got my son, who's a screenwriter, to kind of help me with this. He gave me a perspective I had not thought of. How many of you have seen... All right, I'm going to list four or five of them. And after I list them all, I want you to raise your hands if you've seen them. Batman, Spider-Man, Superman, or Star Wars. Raise your hand if you've seen any of those. Okay, that's about 100%. We're taking notes. 100% saw all those shows. 50% read the book of Esther. So, so I'm going to digress a little bit. And again, my son Joey really helped me see this. And I'm going to read some of the things he wrote me because he's a wordsmith. He says things, well, a lot better than I do. He says that the orphan adoption story is a billion-dollar business in Hollywood. The orphan is consistently looking to their parents as a reference point of who they are designed to be. Superman was an alien, came from another world, lived in Kansas. That's a wilderness, guys. (laughs) He was trained and refined. Spider-Man, his parents leave him when he's a kid. He's raised by his aunt and uncle. Uh, Batman, uh, parents killed, he goes to the Himalayan wilderness where he's trying to find his identity. Luke Skywalker, raised by his aunt and uncle, and then his aunt and uncle are killed. 
These events lead him on a course to become a Jedi. This is, this is, the, this is the essence what Joey was trying to give me perspective on. Why? Because I believe these feelings of being orphaned are spiritually innate within every human being until they come to know and understand who their Heavenly Father is. Every human being before they come to Christ knows what it is like to feel orphaned and lost, whether they had great earthly parents or not. Orphans are constantly in search for their true identity that can only be unlocked in discovering who their parents are. Likewise, our identity can only be unlocked upon discovering who our Heavenly Father is. One more nugget from Joey here. When orphans discover their true identity and what they were ultimately designed for, they then seemingly become superhuman and conquerors of evil. Superheroes. Thank you, Holly. It's amazing. We've all felt, as I said earlier, we've all felt in the place where we lack support, care, or supervision. And as I look out here in the crowd today, I see, I see some of these stories today. Some that are fatherless, some that are motherless, some that have great parents. But none of us have been exempted from ever feeling alone. None of us. John chapter 14, verse 18. Jesus knew that He didn't want us to be an orphan. That's why He gave us the Helper, the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew He didn't want to leave us alone. So the thread of finding who our identity is in Christ, in God, is so critical. Because here's what will happen. If you don't find that identity in God or Christ, you're going to find it in something else. And it will be a false God. Trust me. Do I need to list them? No. You know what they are. I want to uh, share with you, so I've, got, I've done the biblical characters, I've done the superheroes, and I want to tell you uh, a story you've never heard of, but it's a true story. Very, very true story um, uh, about a certain situation. Um, there were two women, a little girl, 13 years old. Uh, she was in an orphanage in uh, the Mojave Desert. And it was a um, situation where both her parents were deceased. And um, she had moved from orphanage to orphanage to orphanage to orphanage. And then there's this other gal named Virginia 
who was a college student that went and came and worked in that orphanage a certain summer as her internship. It's a true story, guys. And Ellen was just hell on wheels in that orphanage. She caused all kinds of problems, all kinds of problems. And um, when Virginia came to the orphanage for three months, they noticed Ellen's personality was changing. She got more quiet. She got more peaceful, more resolved. And what happened was that Virginia started showing Ellen love. And the night before she left to go back to college, little Ellen was beside herself crying. You can't leave me, Virginia. You can't leave me. She goes, nobody's ever loved me. You're the first person that's loved me. And Virginia said, well, I've got to go back to Bible school. You're going you're gonna to be okay. Ellen's last words to Virginia is, I hate orphanages. And I never want my kids to ever live in an orphanage. And if I ever have kids that go to an orphanage, I want them to have somebody like you. I want you to be their mom. Virginia goes back to college. She gets married. She has two kids of her own. She's in Somerset, Texas one day, sitting on the porch, looking at uh, baby clothes of, of a baby across the street. And suddenly, she remembered the day, September 27th, She prayed this prayer. God, I have a desire for a child. But if there's a child that needs a home, would you send me that child? September 27th. Two weeks later, Virginia gets a letter from Ellen. It says... I have a baby boy. He's born out of wedlock. The state of California is going to put him in an orphanage. Would you take that child? He was born on September 27th. Ellen was my birth mother. Virginia was my adoptive mother. But even with those miraculous events and stories that put things in my life, I didn't look like anybody else in my family. Everybody was blonde hair, blue eyes. And tall. But on the playground, where'd you come from? I felt like an alien. You're brown-skinned. They're light-skinned. Where, where are you from? And I believe the enemy, even while I was in my mother's womb, was trying to say, you're rejected. And that's what that orphan spirit permeates. You're rejected. And for years and years and years and years, 
that spirit of rejection would come against me because that orphan spirit was still in me. And you've all felt it where you felt rejected. And one day I got this revelation. I was selected, not rejected. And you can tweet this next line. I learned how to reject rejection. Hear that. I learned how to reject rejection. And when doubt started coming to my ears, I learned how to doubt my doubts. Reject your rejection, doubt your doubts. Because when this aloneness, lack of care, lack of supervision, it's a lie from the enemy. So when you feel those thoughts, when you hear those lies, you realize that God's raising up a superhero. This isn't a setback. This is a setup. It's a setup for the kingdom of God to be glorified in your life. So I want to I want to I want to let you know you're not alone. Again, some of you have had horrible relationships with your earthly father, earthly mother. Some of you have had great relationships. But at the end of the day, it's not about that. It's about our relationship with the Heavenly Father. That's what it's about. And He's always trying to draw us in to His presence. He's always trying to draw us in. So I'm saying, if you feel lonely today, if you feel that orphan thing on you, I'm saying take it to the altar. Take it to the altar. This is your chance. This is your chance. I've said this before. What you overcome in Christ becomes your platform in Christ. As a Jewish kid, you know... You love testimonies. The Jewish people love testimonies. John talked about it last week. You're always building memorials. Let this day be a monument when you said, I'm selected, not rejected. I put the past behind me and press on forward to the greater calling of God in my life. Trust me, I know this better than anybody. I have failed as a father and I have failed as a son. But God's redeemed it all. Because I had to embrace how He saw me and not how I saw myself. And definitely not how the enemy was trying to portray me when I looked in that mirror every morning. So I'm going to ask you to stand right now bow our heads close our eyes I'm going to ask you today if you have if you felt 
that orphan thing on you, raise your hand. Oh man, there's so many hands. And I want to ask you now, if there are any of you that have not accepted Christ in your life, and you know He's He's the one thing that needs to fill this void in me, and you want to take the next steps today, raise your hands. Nobody's looking. Raise your hands. Lord, we just we just thank you. We praise you that you've redeemed us. You've given us opportunity, Lord. You've given us a chance. We are your chosen kids. And Lord, we just pray that you will raise up your identity in us. Ask that you bless us all in Jesus' name.